Hi, David. In our podcast a few weeks ago, you warned that the credibility of the UK monetary and fiscal policies was at risk. But what we're witnessing now is extraordinary. Hi, Alex. Uh, yes, you're right. It is um, extraordinary. And, you know, it starts obviously with the announcement by the new Chancellor, Kwasi Kwarteng, uh, last Friday um, of a set of fiscal plans. So he announced uh, an energy subsidy package to cap prices for households for two years and at least six months for business. Um, it is a very expensive albeit temporary measure. It's going to cost about £60 billion in 2022 alone. So that's equivalent to, you know, two and a half percent of UK GDP. And the ultimate cost could actually be much greater, depending on whether the business relief is extended beyond six months and on the price of European natural gas. But, but that's not what triggered this crisis of credibility in UK policy. Um, the volatility we are witnessing right now in UK financial markets, you know, the sell-off in the British pound, was triggered by the accompanying announcement of large unfunded tax cuts that were much bigger than expected at uh, £45 billion. Um, and, and the UK debt office has been told to borrow another £72 billion between now and April next year. And, and it seemed there was very sort of scant regard for public debt sustainability, the implications for inflation and interest rates. Um, and the government wants to embark on a debt funded dash for growth. Now, considering the UK economy is supply constrained with the highest inflation in the G7 and a record 8% of GDP current account deficit, it's not really surprising investors didn't like what they were hearing and uh, aggressively sold uh, gilt, UK government bonds, and sold the British pound. And, and yet, despite the negative market reaction on that Friday, over the weekend, in an interview with the BBC, the Chancellor said more tax cuts you know, were to come. Um, so our, our, over the last few days, we've seen sterling 3% down against the euro, 5% weaker against the US dollars, US dollar. And, you know, these are big moves for G7 currency in just a handful of days. Um, but I think even more troubling has been the sheer magnitude of the sell-off in UK government bonds, you know, the volatility and dysfunction uh, we've seen in that market that, that actually prompted the Bank of England to intervene and to uh, potentially unlimited purchases of uh, gilt in order to stabilise uh, the market. So, you know, as a result of, you know, this loss of credibility arising from uh, the fiscal plans announced by the UK government on Friday, in particular the unfunded um, tax cut, I think the UK has kind of jumped to a much more negative and unstable economic and financial um, uh, situation. Um, and it really is, I think, as a result of a crisis of credibility. So the Bank of England is buying gilts, but aren't they planning to sell gilts as they unwind QE? Yeah, I mean, it, you're absolutely right, Alex. And, it, and I guess it highlights, you know, just how uh, dramatic um, the sort of shifts have uh, been. So as part of the tightening of monetary policy and bringing inflation down, the Bank of England said it would sell 
80 billion pounds of guilt over the next 12 months, starting in October. So essentially unwinding all the sort of pandemic uh, asset purchases uh, that, 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 that it did. But according to the Bank of England, the dysfunction in the guilt market following the uh, announcement on Friday uh, is so great that if that was allowed to continue or, or get worse, uh, there would be, in their words, a material risk to UK financial stability, as well as a reduction in the flow of credit to the real economy. So maybe we should explore both of those kind of rationales for the Bank of England's intervention in the gilt market. Uh, the reduction in terms of the flow of credit to the real economy, well, that's basically mortgage providers. Uh, many UK mortgage providers had to pull fixed rate products from the market because, you know, with such high volatility, they simply can't price um, such products. And there's certainly been uh, reports of housing sales falling through because mortgage offers have been withdrawn. But I think more seriously, even more serious than that, is, is the financial stability angle. And that basically is with respect to UK pension funds. So about one and a half trillion pounds of assets of UK pension funds have been hedged in so-called LDI or liability-driven investment. So this, this is essentially matching pension liabilities um, against uh, government bonds. So if bond yields go up, Although the value of the pension funds bond portfolio goes down, so does the present value of its pension liabilities. But actually, most UK pension funds have not fully matched in this way because they're not fully funded. They, they don't actually have sufficient funds to cover all their long term pension liabilities. So, so funds have actually used derivatives to create a sort of synthetic guilt exposure that's freed up. Uh, capital to invest in, you know, riskier and often less liquid assets in search of generating returns that will help them close that uh, funding gap. But the sheer magnitude and pace of the decline in guilt prices, especially at the long end, um, has left the pension funds facing, you know, huge margin calls on their derivative exposures that have been mimicking these movements in, in guilt. And they're struggling to meet those margin calls. Now, in the, in the worst case, if they are unable to meet uh, those uh, cash calls, then they can potentially lose the assets and the cash flows tied to those swap positions and, and you know, become insolvent. So I, I do think that this intervention by the Bank of England to stabilise the gilt market is justified um, in addressing both the, the, the sort of mortgage credit, but more importantly, I think the financial stability risk uh, facing uh, the UK from pension funds being unable to meet uh, margin calls and, you know, being four sellers of gilt in a market when, where there's been no bid. That said, I think the Bank of England is also going to be careful um, if investors think it is willing to fund the government and allow it to borrow more at below the market rate, there will be a further run on the on the pound. And this is where, you know, if you if there is a perception that this fiscal dominance of the central bank, investors lose confidence in its central uh, in its inflation credentials and in the currency. Now, you know, the market reaction to the Bank of England's intervention you know, where we saw a, a, a massive, you know, full 
uh, 100 basis point uh, move lower in uh, long end gilt yields does, I think, confirm that there was some kind of pension fund led for selling of uh, 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 gilts. Um, we've seen sterling you know, continue to be very volatile, but it did not take a further leg lower. So I, I, I think the Bank of England's intervention, as I say, was justified. And, and, and I think um, so far it's looks like it's kind of averted that particular uh, sort of financial stability risk. But but this crisis is far from over and, and there's some very difficult policy choices um, ahead if uh, credibility is to be restored. Let's explore the policy options. What are the next steps? Well, look, the, the responsibility for this self-inflicted crisis squarely lies with the government as it's its fiscal plans that are, you know, the source of uh, this loss of credibility. Um, I mean, the best policy option is to is for the government to announce it will reverse or at least delay all or some of the planned unfunded um, tax cuts. But it's also the least likely outcome for because for political reasons, I mean, it would effectively mark the end of Liz Truss's uh, premiership, even before it really kind of got going. Um, I think what's going to happen now is that, you know, investors are going to be looking to uh, the Conservative Party conference starting on the 2nd of October. And in particular, of course, the speeches by uh, Prime Minister Liz Truss and uh, the Chancellor. Um, and, and investors, I think, will want to hear, and, and I'm hoping they will hear, a commitment to yeah, fiscal discipline, um, to funding uh, tax and spending measures, to reducing debt over the medium term, to, you know, that the government's economic policy is going to work with rather than against the Bank of England in reducing inflation. Now, I'm, I'm assuming, you know, Truss and Kwarteng are not going to be wholly deaf to investor concerns over the coming days, although that, that actually I think is quite a big assumption on my part. But, you know, if, if, if they make the right, um, you know, commitments, then markets may be willing to hold judgment until the 23rd of November when the government will set out its medium term fiscal plan that will be you know, reviewed by the Office of Budget Responsibility um, and, and then will set out a sort of medium term um, you know, sort of framework for uh, reducing um, debt. But, you know, I've, I've got concerns. Um, you know, firstly, 23rd of November is a long time to wait before addressing the damage that's currently being done to the UK economy and the credibility of its macro policy framework. And, you know, secondly, if, if the Chancellor relies solely on big cuts in public spending, possibly backdated to after the next general election in two years, I think many investors would be rightly um, sceptical. So, you know, the, 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 the government, as I say, faces some um, hard choices. Um, uh, whether they're willing to meet those, I think it's still a very uh, open question. Mm. And what about the Bank of England? As, as we've discussed, I mean, I think the bank has done the right thing to prevent a potentially systemic crisis amongst UK pension funds. But it's room for manoeuvre and monetary policy. I mean, it's, it's, it's largely gone, I think. Um, I mean, the bank was on a very kind of gradualist path. And, you know, I think it was receiving some criticism for that, but it was on a gradualist path, you know, raised to the base rate by 50 basis points to two and a quarter percent at its last meeting the day before um, the budget. 
And I think, you know, the, the, the bank, you know, the UK is already in recession. And I, and I think the bank was hoping that sort of by gradually tightening policy, um, it would allow inflation to come down without, a, you know, a, a very severe um, economic uh, downturn. But I, but I think that optionality for the bank is gone. I mean, the market is pricing a full one and a half percentage point increase in the base rate at its next scheduled meeting on November the 3rd. So that's twice as large as the market was pricing before the so-called mini budget. Um, the fall in the value of the pound in recent days alone, um, if sustained, would add between one and two percentage points to inflation in 2023, while the fiscal stimulus announced by the government is, is also inflationary. So, you know, the, the bank is going to have to respond to that. Um, it is going to have to raise interest rates uh, much more, um, uh, much more uh, uh, aggressively. Um, you know, the bank is going to be updating its own forecasts um, at its meeting on the November 3rd. And, you know, it, it, it conditions its forecasts on, on current market implied par for, for, for the base rate, which is, according to the market, going to reach 6% in the first half of 2023. I mean, 6% interest rates in the UK will cause a housing uh, uh, crash. It will mean a deep recession. I think the Bank of England's forecast will show that will show, you know, inflation falling more quickly, albeit from a um, higher peak. Um, but I don't think, you know, the Bank of England can do much other than to validate market expectations because this loss of credibility means that if the bank is perceived as accommodating the government's dash for growth over its remit to reduce inflation to 2%, then the pound is going to uh, fall much, much further and, and kind of reinforce that negative inflationary um, spiral and long-end gilt yields will once again um, start moving um, significantly um, higher. So, you know, I mean, I think that the concern that the bank will have is right now is that if we get further, you know, missteps, um, you know, lack of um, sort of acknowledgement of the nature of this crisis by um, the government, then we'll get another bout of extreme volatility in the gilt market and sell off in sterling. And that could actually force it into uh, bringing forward its its meeting and an emergency rate hike. So it could be forced to raise rates even more quickly to a much higher level to prevent a run on the uh, run on the pound. And, and obviously that in turn, those higher rates inflicting uh, more damage on the UK uh, uh, economy. I mean, you know, bear in mind, um, although most UK mortgages are a sort of fixed rate, typically for sort of three to five years, um, there's about you know 1.2 million uh, mortgages that run off over the next 15 months and have to be replaced, and they're going to be facing, you know, even in the best case scenario, um, dramatically higher uh, mortgage rates, um, and that's going to clearly add to the squeeze on household incomes and on um, consumer spending. So. I, I think the next week is going to be pretty critical. Um, it's going to be pretty critical for the bank. I think it will be hoping that the, you know, uh, comments from uh, government uh, ministers and the prime minister does not make a bad situation even worse. And and actually, hopefully, 
you know, uh, moves things in a more positive direction and, and starts to establish some um, uh, uh, credibility. And, and finally, the only thing I just would also say is I think once the guild market is stabilised, I mean, the bank must, you know, withdraw its temporary support. Um, I actually think they should still go ahead with their planned sales of gilts that you highlighted at the beginning, Alex, um, because it just cannot allow itself to be perceived as, as a kind of willing accomplice of this sort of debt-funded, um, you know, dash for growth by, 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 by the UK government. And our final question today, David, are there implications beyond the UK for this crisis? Look, I mean, the UK is only about you know, 2% of the global economy. I mean, it does have a kind of bigger influence or bigger weight than that because it does host a major financial centre um, and the British pound is a reserve currency. It's about 5% of global um, reserve assets. Um, I, I mean, in, in if you like, quote unquote, normal circumstances. I mean, the UK is not enough to kind of meaningfully impact on the global economy, but we're not in sort of normal circumstances. I mean, the backdrop is that the euro area is also entering recession. You know, China's barely um, uh, growing. We're obviously seeing a tightening of global financial conditions uh, more generally. So I think, you know, it does, at the margin at least, add to downside risk to the global economic outlook. And I think especially if, if the crisis were to deepen and that was to spill over into, you know, increased volatility, increased risk premia and, and, and therefore, you know, across global markets and therefore, you know, a, a tightening in, in, in broader global um, financial conditions. Um, I also think what we are witnessing in the UK, although, as I said, sort of, you know, self, largely self-inflicted, it's nonetheless also, you know, kind of, symptom, if you like, of the profound change in the investment regime that's been brought about by the worldwide surge in inflation. You know, in a world of high inflation, rising interest rates, the end of quantitative easing, economic fundamentals and policy credibility count. You know, they they really do matter. And I think governments, and, and actually, for that matter, companies, you know, can no longer rely on central bank liquidity and the search for yield to bail them out you know, as they've done in the sort of previous decade where we had, you know, zero interest rates and, you know, QE infinity. Um, and, and I guess I would just also say it, it just also highlights something we've discussed before, Alex, which is, you know, the magnitude and pace of global financial tightening led by, you know, the, the you know, hawkish Fed and has been transmitted worldwide by the rise of the US dollar. I think will expose and break weak links in the global economy. And as it turns out, you know, the UK is a weak link. Um, you know, its economic fundamentals are much weaker post-Brexit. It's got a, you know, much deteriorating trade performance. Uh, business investment has been uh, very, very weak by historical standards and its growth potential is uh, much uh, worse. I think in this kind of, new world of a much more constrained financing environment for governments but also for you know companies and and other sectors of the economy you know a loss of policy credibility um combined with weak fundamentals is going to get punished and that's what the uk has demonstrated and and hopefully uh, other governments around the world will will kind of learn that lesson thanks so much for your time today david and we'll speak again soon thanks alex 
This podcast is issued by Blue Bay or one of its entities. Please check the entire Blue Bay disclaimer at the following website, www.bluebay.com forward slash podcast disclaimer. This podcast is provided for informational purposes only. It is not intended, nor should it be intended as investment, tax, or legal advice. This podcast does not constitute an offer to sell, nor is it a solicitation of an offer to purchase any security or investment product in any jurisdiction. This podcast is not available for distribution in any jurisdiction where such distribution would be prohibited and is not aimed at such persons in those jurisdictions. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Blue Bay makes no express or implied warranties or representations with respect to the information contained in this podcast and hereby expressly disclaim all warranties of accuracy, completeness or fitness for a particular purpose. Blue Bay is under no obligation to update the information in the podcast to reflect changes after publication date. The information contained in this podcast is believed to be reliable, but Blue Bay cannot and does not guarantee its accuracy, timeliness or completeness. The document is intended only for professional clients and eligible counterparties as defined by the Markets and Financial Instruments Directive or in the US by accredited investors as defined by the Securities Act of 1933 or qualified purchases as defined in the Investment Company Act of 1940 as applicable and should not be relied upon by any other category of consumer. No part of this document may be reproduced, redistributed or passed on directly or indirectly to any other person, published in whole or in part for any purpose in any manner without the prior written permission of Blue Bay or one of its entities. Copyright 2022.